You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from the third format, everyone's favorite buzzsaw. Vocal fam, hello. Hello, Dr. Sims. Hello. Dr. Lorraine Sims is joining us today, vocal fam. First time appearance. I've been meaning to have her on for, I think, forever. Um, And uh, well, because I mean, I'm not that far from Baton Rouge and, 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 you know, an LSU and, and I've been meaning to do this forever. But welcome, welcome, welcome to Vocal Fry. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for asking. Of course. Um, You know, we're going to get into all kinds of stuff today. Obviously, um, Dr. Sims has been doing a lot um, of writing and presenting uh, on working with with transgender singers, and we're going to talk about that a good bit today. But just how's teaching online going and your quarantining going? (laughs) Well, I am finding the fatigue and the exhaustion of teaching online to be overwhelmingly more than I expected. Yeah. It really is. It's just so exhausting. And I've got right now, because I'm in a little bit of an overload, so I've got 21 lessons every week to, oh to attend to, plus a class of teaching practicum, plus I'm doing my studio class online. It's so exhausting. I'm, it is exhausting. <laughs> By yesterday, I was like, I'm over it. I'm over this semester. My kids are over it. We're all over it. How long do I you guys have yes- left? We go, we go two more weeks. Yeah, two us, more too. Weeks You're of close. us too. Yeah. You're so close. I can, I can see the finish line. So mm-hmm. it's really great. <laughs> and then of course, all the students are supposed to submit videos for their juries oh. because we're not having juries with everyone. So they're yeah. supposed to submit to their teacher, all of their repertoire memorized for their jury. Oh. And then and then we alone will grade that. Yeah, so you I just mean, get to watch it all. <laughs> I get to watch everything. In all your spare time. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's what finals week will be. Yeah. So, I'm just I'm just telling my students. That's sort of how we're handling juries, except I'm just telling them, I want you to send me these two songs memorized as a video. Yeah. And there you then go. I mean I'm not I'm not having them do all all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it would just be it would that would be that's that's a lot. That's a lot of it is a lot. It's brutal. And, and we've given them the caveat, you can do it live in your last lesson. Just sing okay. them back to back with, oh. you know, at companies held to your ear or on yeah. a Bluetooth speaker. Or you can send videos. And I've given mine even the further option. You can do this one week at a, you know, one piece at a time or you can save them all till the end. So. It's kind of sure, nice. That's, that's break nice. it up. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. I, um, the, problem, the problem that I ran into um, on a bunch of my students' rep is because since I teach such a diverse population of singer, like my essentially students who are rock singers, I don't have a lot of, um, there's a lot of accompaniments that, I mean, we're, you know, at, at best we're using a karaoke YouTube track. I mean, cause accompanist right. even with the classical rep <laughs> doesn't have everything. Yeah. I even have said, you know, this isn't going to work with a recorded accompaniment. So why don't you just give yourself a pitch or I'll give you one and sing it to the end and we'll go because it's just not going to work. You know, they they can't, they can't follow or wait. There's no room for any kind of, you know, if the piano drops out and you don't know to come back in. So 
Yeah, That's so some of them are choosing that option, unaccompanied yeah. song. Well, and for yeah. my, you know, and for my Italian art songs, I teach so much Tosti, and the rubato <laughs> in accompanist is so difficult to tell where it's going sometimes. Right. Even after you rehearse with it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a thing. So, so Dr. Sims, Lorraine, tell us how you got to LSU. Sort of your background in singing, like you know, you've been at LSU for a, a while, a fair fair amount of time now. Almost twenty years now. So, so yeah. you know, fair amount of time. But but you know, what, what's sort of your background, just as a singer and a teacher? Well, um, I actually didn't take a very straight path to this job. I took, took the long curvy way around to get here. Um, so I started out as a music education major back in the 70s, and I was going to be a high school choral teacher, I thought, or some such thing as that. All and right, then I, all right. I got all the way to my student teaching thinking that's what I was going to do, and I just hated it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I've made a bad mistake. Um, it's for some people, and I admire them greatly, but I just was not cut out for that. So I thought, well, hmm, I guess I'll go get a master's degree in voice performance. So that's what I did. And then, of course, at the end of a master's degree in voice performance, there's no real job associated with that degree. What un- do unless... you mean? <laughs> well, Never I mean, run there into are that. things to do, but I decided, okay, well, I'm going to teach private lessons. That's gonna, I'm going to open a private studio. I'm going to try to, you know, I, I, I had been familiar with certain schools in some areas would let voice teachers come in and teach at school, and you'd have this, you know, immediate studio population that you could inhabit. Um, and I so I did that for about 12 years when I was living in a couple of different places um, and was fairly successful with that. I actually ended up working also at a music store in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because, you know, try to keep body and soul together. Mm. And just when I was about to give it all up and think, I just can't support myself, you know, steadily enough. I need, I need a more reliable income because I wasn't, you know, managing that way. I, I was, I had gone to my music store person and said, I think I'm ready for more responsibility. And is there a job that, you know, we can do full time? And, and so <laughs> they created a position for me as the comptroller, which I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> and we, I set out thinking, okay, I'm going to just back off on this private teaching and I'm going to be this music store super employee. And like fate does, it sort of smacks you in the face sometimes and says, what are you doing? <laughs> You're really good at teaching voice. So I got a call from my, my teacher from my bachelor's degree, Pablo Pedraza, may he rest in peace. He called me and he said, I've been keeping up with your teaching through Nats and all that, and I'm not well and would like you to come take my studio at Southeastern Oklahoma State University, where I had gotten my bachelor's degree. And I was like, (laughs) wow, what a gift from the universe dropped in my lap. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And so then it turned into actually a two-year thing because his health did not improve. Mm. And at the end of that two years, I was like, this is what I wanted to do when I finished my master's degree, but couldn't get that kind of a job. Mm -hmm. So um, 12 years after (laughs) finishing my master's and just paying off my loans from that degree, I went back to school at LSU. And the, the weird connection is 
I did my master's at Southwest Texas, Mm -hmm. and one of my teachers there, the choral teacher, Ken Fulton, was now at LSU. So I called him up and said, hey, I'm thinking about getting a doctorate. What do you think of the program? Blah, blah, blah. He convinced me it was a great place to be, and I said, okay, I'm going to apply. So they ended up giving me a teaching assistantship. I spent... um, three years doing that. And while I was doing that, I was adjunct at a, at Hammond Southeastern. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I got my degree and I got a position in Pittsburgh, Kansas of all places, right in the Southeast oh. corner of Kansas at Pittsburgh state university. The most it's, well-known Pittsburgh. Yes, <laughs> not the one without an eight. <laughs> and I had just gotten tenured there when this LSU job opened up. So I'm telling you, it's a long path back to this job. But this job opened up, and because I had been a teaching assistant there and and was a little older than most of their students, all of my colleagues at LSU knew me, and they knew how I taught, and they were like, you want to come back? And I was like, I just got tenure. I just signed my contract at Pittsburgh State. Uh, Yes, I'd love to come back. (laughs) It's you, doctoral students, graduate students. I can, you know grow more. Um, And so they let me out of my contract at Pittsburgh State, and I got hired at LSU, and the rest is history. Here I am. Voila. (laughs) Yeah. So I keep having this get invited back to previous institutions sort of phenomenon that's sort of a thread in my career. Don't don't know that that will happen again for you. uh, No, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I just got full professor this past year, so so I'm, I'm feeling like I've I've arrived and I can you know just be me and do my stuff now. <laughs> in in indeed, uh, and and you have for 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 some time now sort of been you and doing your stuff. Um, I mean I've known about your teaching for for many many years now, but um, when I got uh, to Mississippi, um, you were sort of early in the stages. Uh, in fact, you were just teaching Lucas. Yes. I mean, still as a private studio student at at the university, right? Right, right. And um, I I had actually just come off. I'll tell you actually my, um, I don't know if I told you this before. My previous, so when I, right before I came to Mississippi, I had taught at a um, very short um, uh, summer little workshop, musical theater sort of workshop in Malaysia, which is actually how I know Wuji and and, and some of those students that you have as graduate students. Small world, yeah. But... In that program, we actually was my first encounter working with a transgendered singer. Ah. We had two, just, you know, which I had not worked with one. Now I was working with two in the same program. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm just going to work. My my first thought was just, all right, I'm going to work with them as I would any voice. I mean, we're just going to sing. But I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have any materials to turn to. I didn't have any, you know, because it was just thrust upon me here I am and I wanted to do the best for these these humans they were wonderful people and I wanted to do what I could for them as a as a you know sort of just I mean I was only there for two weeks it wasn't like I was their voice teacher forever but um I remember thinking man somebody's gonna have to write some stuff on this and do some work on this (laughs) uh anyway come to find out that next year that sure enough Dr. Sims had started working on this (laughs) 
Tell us so how funny. you got there. How did it start? Like, what, what was it? Was Lucas the first student or was there someone before that? Or there, there was one student before Lucas. So my first trans student was a trans woman who was a bass baritone. And I had gotten this student sort of like just prior to transition, not really in transition, almost in transition. You know, okay. it was like in that sort of pre pre hormonal therapy. Pre, yeah. Well, they weren't. This was a trans um, assigned male at birth student. So they Got had it. gone through a testosterone puberty and sang bass baritone Got in the it. choir. And we had worked prior to this only on as a bass baritone yeah. but this particular student was a music education major and wanted to go back to texas to teach and so realizing that they needed to up their game on uh, feminizing the voice as the go-to voice all the time for teaching for safety reasons and you know not to make kids confused in middle school yeah. and things like sure, that so sure, sure, sure. um so we worked eventually we abandoned the work as a bass baritone and started trying to feminize the singing voice to something in sort of the contralto-y low mezzo range uh, just by training the falsetto. And um, this particular student had learned to feminize their own speaking voice in such a way that it was sort of androgynous, you know, not too low, not too high. It just, it was a, a, pretty believable speaking voice uh but the singing voice was a wreck because the first the falsetto was not very good uh. so we actually had to work on how to make the falsetto be a little stronger and and uh acoustically make some changes to make it workable to, so that you so that sh uh, she could use it in a choral rehearsal um i mean and personally i think that all bass baritones baritones tenors should all have that skill period but okay. i yeah. totally agree with you just like i think all sopranos and altos need to work in their chest yeah. register more yeah. um, and i preach that everywhere i go right. especially anyway, at sorry. ACDA conventions um oh, anyway please thank you <laughs> um but anyway so that Sarah. was my first trans student and and this student came to me from another studio because they just they felt like the teacher would not not use the correct pronouns all the time sure. and, and they just didn't feel feel validated yeah. yeah so that student told the second student you should go see dr sims if you're considering this so i happen to already know this student as a, a soprano in our program who had started at a, as a major but then went to engineering or some such thing and then <laughs> like you hey, <laughs> like you do, okay. and then decided to come back to music. And when, when uh, they came back to music, they were in with one of my doctoral students' teaching studios. So they were actually taking, like, mm. you know, our lower division voice, we call it secondary voice. Sure. And they were with my teaching assistant, and that's when that person came out to me, and I had no, no idea. I mean, I, I was completely clueless that this was coming down the pike. But because my first student had said to this student, if you're thinking about that, you should go talk to Dr. Sims. So um, Lucas came to me, came out to me via email, and uh, it's in my Nats article exactly the email that I was permitted to print. But it was sort of like, I'm thinking of coming out, my new name is going to be, um, um, I'm hoping if I... Um, Oh, before I give up my voice, before I start testosterone, I want to do a recital with your student, you know, as my teacher and your support and all this. And so I was like, 
Wow, great. Thanks for sharing with me. You know, I felt really honored that somebody would, would be that open when they did, they knew me, but not that well. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I replied back, if you are going to start HRT, you know, when you're going to take testosterone, if that is your plan, please let me know. We'll start working right that minute because I can't find much literature about this topic and it can't be just me with this problem. So that's how it all started. That was about 2012, 2013, I think, when that was going on. So I spent about a year and a half recording every voice lesson and from the beginning of the hormone therapy, mm-hmm. 18 months basically is what I recorded. And then I got a sabbatical to review all of those recordings and sort of write down everything I thought about the process. And um, it's so funny, the first time I did a poster was actually at the National Opera Association mm. uh, before I before okay. I, I did it at Nats the same the same calendar year. Yeah. I think that was 2016. And that's probably about the time I came to MC. To yeah, do that. it would have been uh, January of 16, yes. Yeah, the same. it was that same year. That year was like an explosion year for me yeah. to present on the topic. And when I did it at NOA, people were just like, oh, my gosh. And, and so many people came up to me and said, we have a trans student in my school, or I have a trans student, and I can't studio, believe this. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so... It, it turned into just this snowball effect of it just because I had taken the time to write it all down. It was like I became the trans singer authority, yeah. <laughs> you know, by default. Um, and then there were several people doing it at the same time. So I wasn't the only one. I just happened to get it published really quickly. Um, Nats became interested because they they wanted me to do one of those coffee talks at the 2016 conference. And it was like 7.30 in the morning, you know, teaching transgender students or something. And we thought, oh, four people are going to show up. And over 100 people came. So then Nats was like, uh, can you write an article by next month? And can you, you know, I'd already submitting teaching Lucas was accepted, but it was way down the, you yeah. know. It was yeah. uh, but that article came out really quickly. The first one. <laughs> I they, bet. And then right after that, Lucas I think got bumped up because it seemed like it happened pretty quickly then. Yeah, I remember um, them being in kind of not too far apart. They were they were two next door. So January, February. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I also relate to the publishing cycle of Journal of Singing. <laughs> it is so long and you think, oh, I by mean, the time it publishes, nobody's going to care. I but mean, then, thank, thank <laughs> goodness I was so grateful that this last one, I just went through Scott directly, but even that <laughs> took 18 months. So, I mean, wow. and it was funny. I was just talking to somebody about that and I was like, yeah, I'm not sure. I think all the things that I thought I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and my vocabulary has changed since that first article and, and so many things that I think about teaching transgender students have evolved over time so that when people refer back to those, I'm like, oh, I wish I could make some corrections. Sure. In okay, so there, there's two things you hit on right there that I wanted to talk about. That's perfect. Great. Wonderful. One is the idea of, you know, some of the tech, technical things that you that you deal with with these singers, but I also wanted to talk about language some. Mm-hmm. Um, we can hit either one first. Doesn't matter to me. It, Language is probably the big one. Let, let's, let's do that yeah. first then. Yeah. You know, t- talk to us about some of the important things. Obviously, you've been working 
um, very diligently with Nats on helping us update things like categories and, and some of this right. just terminology. But go ahead and talk to us about some of the things that a voice teacher might need to be aware of you know, when, when they have someone like this come into their studio so that they can be, you know, treat them with dignity and respect and, and, and know, you know, how to, how to, how to best interact. Right. So, um, in order to make your, your studio, uh, um, a safe space for yeah. this student and for you to be a trans affirming, uh, teacher, you need to, you need to have certain ideas already in mind. So one thing, the first thing is pronouns right off the bat. And sometimes it's, I now have in my signature line, my pronouns. Yeah, I saw that. In my, every email that goes out. So there are little things you can do to sort of make people aware that you are at least in the know of what yeah. that means. Um, so when a student comes to you and you should never assume that you know what their pronouns are. So many times we have this big um, all area studio class the first of the semester at LSU. And I try to then at that point, when I'm talking to the whole voice area, say, hi, I'm Dr. Lorraine Sims. My pronouns are she and her and, you know, just make it sort of a non-event, which people that are trans appreciate because then it doesn't make it weird for them to tell you their pronouns. Sure. So if you get in the habit of introducing yourself at various places, I mean, it can feel awkward, <laughs> but just to say, hi, I'm so-and-so, my pronouns are she and her, or whatever they are. And then when the student shares their pronouns with you, and I see, I used to use the word preferred pronouns. This isn't a preferred thing. This is their per- pronouns. They don't have a preference for one. Yeah. That's their pronouns. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I've, yeah. so I've stopped saying preferred pronouns and just say, what are your pronouns? Or okay. what pronouns do you use? So my first student, I said, what pronouns would you like me to use? Because I really was not sure with the first student. And it was like, oh, thank you. She, her. I was sure. like, great, I'm going to really work on that. And then Lucas, when Lucas came to me as a soprano, it was like, what pronouns do you want me to use? And it was he, him. And I had to adapt because I really had known Lucas by another name right. long with other pronouns. Yeah. Um, right now I have a, a non-binary student who uses they, them pronouns. Uh-huh. Okay. And there are so many people that still aren't quite on board with they, them being an acceptable singular person pronoun. Mm-hmm. But it is completely acceptable. And if that is the pronouns they wish you to use, that is the ones you should use. Just get used to it. You already know how to use them. So you don't say they is. I mean, you don't try to make it singular and not match. You just use they the way you've always used they. Pretty much like you would do if you you didn't know the gender or it was a nonspecific person. I've been using it this entire interview already. They for they are whatever you know yeah. so you just use those pronouns um for that singular person so that's the first thing use their pronouns if they have a name that's not on your uh, registration on your course load you need to know what is the name they wish to be called <laughs> and try to use that name as a as a sign of respect yeah. the time the time this can get sticky is if you have an underage singer and they're not out to their parents. Right. Sometimes that can be a little sticky. Um, so, like, we have a question on our intake form for uh, people auditioning for incoming freshmen. So mm-hmm. they're high school seniors. And it says pronouns. And we've had a, a student come in and say, 
they them but to my parents he him oh wow okay mm-hmm. so um and i can imagine if you were in a teaching like high school or middle school or children <laughs> yeah then you don't want to put yourself between a trans student and their parents in an awkward position or be in the position to accidentally out that person to a parent so uh, a conversation might have to be had like i am going to try to do as you wish you know to this is to the child but so that you don't so that i don't accidentally out you to your parents we're going to have to come to some sort of compromise so you might call the kid by their last name so you're not going to screw up or you know yeah uh, and just try not to to do anything that's going to negatively impact the child until they're ready to come out to their own parents. But sure, you know, mm-hmm. communication is the key there. So pronouns, important names, important. The next thing is try to avoid um, heteronormative <laughs> topics with picking repertoire. So, ah. so for instance, if I've got a, my first student, bass baritone, if I, if I signed her, give a man a horse he can ride, you know, or something ridiculous yeah. like that. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so you have to be thoughtful about what kind of repertoire. I mean, it's mostly about opening that conversation. Sure. What, what repertoire interests you? What type of poetry interests you? Um, if you want to sing Gretchen am Spinnrad in the low key down the octave and, and we're okay with that, then that should be okay. Um, but you have to be able to sort of open the thought process to mm-hmm. um, just allow for some individual choice. And that's certainly yeah. where the communication becomes huge again. I mean, because right. obviously there's obviously repertoire that doesn't even affect that at all. Of course. I yes. mean, you know, but but then there's obviously tons of intimate tons. vocal repertoire. <laughs> yes, tons. And so... <laughs> It, it really is about what appeals to the student. And you, you, you kind of have to put them in the position of uh, suggesting repertoire to you. You know, you can make suggestions all day long. and Or I, my basic thing is I'll give them choice. You want this French song or this French song? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so because if they don't know the repertoire, they're not going to be able to pick all of their own music that fits their mm-hmm. voice or fits their range or whatever. So that's the first two things. Then if you're dealing with someone uh, doing hormone therapy, Mm -hmm. well, I should back out. Before people do hormone therapy, often if they are um, trans masculine and they were assigned female at birth, they may be binding their chest, um, Mm. which can have an effect on the way they breathe. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're trans feminine assigned to male at birth, they might be wearing a waist trainer, which Mm -hmm. uh, is kind of like a corset. corset Um, So that can also affect breathing. The thing is, it's not your job to ask them anything about personal things like, have you had surgery? (laughs) Where have you had? surgery um but if if you're aware of some sort of binding garment that's that's affecting the way they breathe Mm -hmm. that might be a conversation you could have after you've established a rapport with the student okay then if they are taking hormone therapy then you've got two tracks voices that have been changed by testosterone and voices that have not basically i've i i reduce it to that now so i don't care what um gender you were assigned at birth or what sex you were assigned at birth Mm -hmm. Um, you 
if your voice has been changed by testosterone, that's that's how I'm going to teach you, you know. Yeah. Um, and there are acoustic, slight acoustic changes just because, you know, different sizes of vocal tracts that do not change with hormones past puberty. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, if your voice has been changed by testosterone, then it's the conversation. Do you want to be a tenor or baritone and what are possible, what are the possibilities or as happened with my student, Lucas, after we achieved a senior recital as a tenor, which was actually pretty remarkable. I heard I some of it. I remember hearing the yeah. recordings. It was lovely singing. It's lovely singing. Um, but Lucas hated that production. Felt oh. Just felt muscular and, you know, it was like being a tenor was not fun. Okay. And, and missed terribly their soprano voice and I said well we don't have that voice anymore when, and so Lucas said can I be a countertenor and I was like <laughs> you know you're like oh we just spent all this time making you a tenor but okay let's go so what happened was the falsetto that went away for a while with the testosterone th- treatment came back and then we started working trying to see what that voice had as a possibility and Singing in a counter tenory timbre was actually pretty okay. I imagine. And, yeah. and and Lucas did some really beautiful singing as a counter tenor. Then we get into this um, trans transgender transition is not a one race street for a lot of people, and it's not a it's not in a straight line. <laughs> so if if they're non-binary, which is what Lucas ultimately decided, you know what. I am not transmasculine. I really feel non-binary. So sometimes I may present more in a fem- feminine way, sometimes more in a masculine way. And then it, then I got to the quandary of, well, if you're going to present as female and you've got counter tenor in your label, is that going to work with, you know, I was actually thinking of Nat's competition. What yeah. the heck am I going to do with you? Um and so that's when I started campaigning. That's probably about four years ago. We've got to get yeah. the gender out of our designation, mm-hmm. um, and and just just judge whatever timbre of voice walks in the room, no matter what the person is attached to yep. it. And so that was that was how that all came about. So if you if you're teaching someone with hormone therapy, that's going. Um, say I don't use this term anymore, but uh, female to male. Because I think that's a little insulting now. And that's what my first article recommended, FTM or female to male. But I think if, if you've never felt female, how, how, um, how, how ridiculous to say you've gone from female to male when yeah. you always thought you were male. So now I use assigned female at birth. AFAB assigned and AMAB, yeah. Yep. Um, so that's a conversation to have about what you, you just let the voice show you what it wants to do or what it's capable of doing. And I think I've come to believe that we limit voices all the time because we have preconceived ideas about what they can and cannot do. I think we do this within traditional yeah. voice types. All the time, all the time. When we don't allow uh, our sopranos and altos to really explore how low their chest voice actually can go. And mm-hmm. and the same thing with falsetto, which you said you think all tenors and baritones should do that too. Um, what I've come to find out, so we actually, with with Lucas, who is now going by another name, <laughs> we've, we've sung soprano, we've sung tenor, 
we've sung countertenor, we're singing mezzo right now, which was the hardest transition was to try to add a mix back into that testosterone changed voice. I bet. Yeah. That's the that's been the hardest one, but there there are gains in that production, which just blows my mind. So then I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Does that mean tenors can mix falsetto? <laughs> you know? Uh, and so, I mean, it just makes your mind explode if you think about it too long. I make too yeah. many tenor jokes as it is, so I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll refresh. Sarah knows. I do. I really do. Well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then the other side of the coin is if you have someone who's assigned male at birth that wants to take hormone therapy, that's not going to, that's not going to suddenly feminize their voice. Mm-hmm. So many times people have dysphoria about their speaking voice but not their singing voice and and that is that is a, a whole different conversation perhaps but if they're comfortable with their singing voice and they're transitioning and presenting in a female way and want to be a tenor or a baritone I'm all for it I'm like you know what that's the voice that's the voice you've been using let's keep doing that mm-hmm. and I think that's fine but if they have dysphoria about using that voice then the conversation is, well, we can try to see how we can use your, and I've begun using the word head voice instead of falsetto, because falsetto implies it's not real. Uh, (laughs) Um, Which is, um, we're not quite in the same ballpark, I don't think, in the community yet about that terminology. But I actually got that from Lucia Lucas, who's the famous uh, baritone in Germany. Right. The first trans woman to sing Don Giovanni. Don Giovanni. Yeah. So um, uh, Lucia uses head voice and chest voice for her voice, which she performs, you know, 99% of the time as a baritone and a very high level as a baritone. Mm -hmm. But she's also training a counter, uh, a contralto-y kind of timbre. And she calls that her head voice, not falsetto. (laughs) I was like, I'm with you, Lucia. I mean, yeah. as we've talked about on the podcast before, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for people using whatever terminology in terms of chest, head, falsetto they want to use, as long as you and your students know what you mean by those words. What you mean. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I just use whatever the student's comfortable with, you know, right. mostly anymore. I just kind of go with, I, ne- I have never been a big mode one, mode two kind of a person in mm. my everyday <laughs> use, but I think you could probably go that direction if your students were comfortable with it too. So sure. right now, I occasionally will use falsetto. I occasionally will use head. So, but but they can become interchangeable for a trans student. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. If you feel like you're insulting them with falsetto, and that, I didn't even think about that until Lucia said it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and yeah, yeah. she said, "I don't want to sound like a countertenor." <laughs> so to her, that was insulting, and I was like. Yeah. Okay, so the 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 acoustic adjustments that she's trying to make in her contralto training, she wants it to sound more like a contralto and not falsetto-ish. Contralto is such an ethereal voice type anyway. It's like, are there really contraltos? Yeah, it's like a unicorn, you know? It's like, there's, there's like Eula Beale and there's everybody else, basically. You know, like she was like a one, she and maybe Marian Anderson or something like right. that. Right, yeah, exactly. I don't know, there were two of them or something. I don't know. I, I, so, I, don't know. I mean, not everybody is, is as successful 
training their falsetto if they've been a tenor or baritone, as you well know. Oh. Some, pe- some people are not at all successful with that. But if it's possible, and you, then you just have to have the conversation to bring people to reality of what what might be possible is based on what you're hearing while you're training that voice. You yeah. know, so you might have been headed for a really great some kind of performing career as a tenor, but now as a now trying to be a mezzo, you may some of the doors may have closed because of that, and because you're just starting this training, you know, now at the end of your college career or whatever it is, you know. So I I, I think mostly it's tied to have a conversation with your student and don't don't sweet coat anything. I mean, don't don't be harsh, but just yeah. give it honest dose of reality along the way and keep having the conversation because they may change their minds somewhere along the path as my student did. You know, I, I also think there's the, there's the issue sort of uh, on the point you were just making of considering what casting will look like if we're talking about someone who has like career aspirations. I mean, it's one thing if they're a music education major and they know that they want to go teach in the K to 12 schools or, or if they're a, you know, music therapist or something like this, um, or they want to go into music industry or whatever. But if we're talking about someone who actually would like to have a singing career, whether that's in classical singing, whether it's as a, you know, even a choral singer or a musical theater singer, where I think it might Mm -hmm. even be more difficult, you know, not difficult, but require challenging, challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, there are definitely some hurdles there. Yeah. So, so if you're in commercial music, you could be a singer-songwriter and be any any gender <laughs> presentation. Absolutely. You write your own songs, sing whatever range you want. Um, but if you are playing characters on a stage, so at least in opera, we have the pants roll, There's you know, precedent. sort of yeah. background. So people can sort of accept with makeup and costume, accept you singing whatever voice you're capable of singing in whatever role you're capable of singing. We just haven't had in the past until Lucia right. women singing, you know, baritone roles. Right. But I think, I think that's possible because we can do anything with makeup and costuming that make anybody look like they're supposed to look for whatever role you think they're supposed to look like. Sure. Um, so I think opera might be easier. actually. Than I, agree. Theater. Yeah. I agree. I um, agree. So I don't, I think a lot of times students really need to check in with just because you can sing it and you think you could pull this off doesn't mean casting people are going to agree with you. Yeah. Um, so, and they may get pushback. And I think the discouraging thing will happen where they probably just give up if they're not successful. And that's, you know, I mean, that happens all the time anyway. Not everybody ends up performing that thinks they're going to. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think musical theater might be, while the voice type voice type changes might be easier in some way, I kind of think that, but not all the way. <laughs> but I think the the physical presentation is more important almost in that because there's so many times you're just supposed to be everyday people, you know, without a costume, so right. to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that's a definite man. That, that's a, that's a, it's a, there are challenges there. I think challenge is the right word. Um, yeah. so 
in terms of some of the, what are some of the technical things that you've run into when you have worked with these voices that might be useful for a voice teacher to be sort of on, I mean, you sort of mentioned some of them, but on, on the lookout for or have their eyes open for going into a lesson, that right. kind of thing. So the biggest thing uh, when I was teaching Lucas through a testosterone change, for, so for me, that's more of a pedagogical challenge initially, Mm-hmm. Just because it's different if this person has been training as a soprano or a mezzo, because they try to open up everything as they go into the top, just mm. the same way. They drop the jaw, they just get taller and taller, and you're like, whoa, 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 it's not going to work anymore. Yeah. Um, wait, so, wait, 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 what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, Sorry, that was a tenor joke again. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. So, <laughs> I'll live. Okay. Sarah's going to live. Um, so understanding that voices behave differently as they head into the top of whatever production you're in right. mm-hmm. is one thing to watch out for because that was the hardest adjustment initially when, when the voice finally stabilized and, okay, we have the range of a tenor-ish. I think yeah. it was a young tenor. It was like, okay, but what are we going to do as we approach those higher pitches? Yeah. And, and the, the instinct from the soprano training was just to open up and just, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, I just made a face, vocal fam. It was, That's all, true. It was an awesome face, too. And it was so perfect. I thought I could hear a soprano when you did that. Well, I've taught <laughs> sopranos and I'm married to one, so I... Yeah, I, yeah. so that was the biggest hurdle initially uh, was to redirect those vowel choices mm-hmm. through that area. Um, when teaching uh, it, the my first student, so trying to help that falsetto strengthen it was trying to attain some sort of vocal closure that was a little more than usual. So I used a lot of, oh, 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 you know, vocal fold touching exercise. Sure. Probably the uh uh-oh exercise. So I I would have them, you know, feel their vocal folds touching and then try to keep some of that pinch in the tone, which, of course, here again... (laughs) Probably we don't teach enough of that in regular singing anyway. But when you're going from when you're trying to strengthen a falsetto, that's sort of an important thing to pay attention to. And it's an important thing to pay attention to different adjustments going into the higher pitches again, because mm-hmm. you don't do the the turnover approach you've been using. And now you do want to just drop that jaw and find some, you know, open vowels that make sense. So I think it's I think more of the adjustments for the teacher are paying attention to what the student is naturally trying to do to go into the higher pitch. Well, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we all did that with all of our students? Wouldn't it? (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, but I think there's a beautiful image there in the idea that essentially what you're saying is just having effective good pedagogy. (laughs) That's where I've come. It's full circle because anymore I'm like, are you a good voice teacher? Then you can teach a trans student. Yeah. That's all you have to do is yeah, be a good voice teacher. Exactly. And pay attention to the individual in front of you. Yes. And be kind. And, and be communicate. Able- and communicate. I mean, it's literally that. And so at first, everybody's like, oh, I don't think I could ever treat, teach a transgender singer. And I'm like, why not? Do you teach yeah. singers now? Um, so there, there is a lot of just sort of people assume things that they should just stop. Just, you know... It's an individual, it's a human being with a voice that has or has not been changed by testosterone. 
go. <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things, too, that th- actually learning about this process, particularly anyone who has gone through hormone therapy, that has helped me be aware um, when I in, I got a student um, who came from an otolaryngologist because they had gone in for an appointment because they were a 50-something female who, uh, for hormonal reasons, had been put on testosterone mm. and had been a singer and all mm-hmm. of a sudden started having voice problems, but the doctor who put them on the HRT hadn't told them that oh there mm. might be voice changes. <laughs> yeah. And so thank goodness wow. for all of this because I was better prepared yeah. to start those conversations with a totally different, unrelated, you know, kind of population Absolutely. of student. Yeah. Um, but that I was very grateful that I had that experience to draw on and, and being able to counsel her in this case mm-hmm. that, well, it, your fundamental frequency range is probably just different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yep. know, and that was, a, that, that was like an emotional destruction for her. Right. I'm sure. Because right. nobody had told her that going in. Oh my gosh. There's a shock. And, you know, and it's, it's one of the things I, you know, that I, I have heard, um, I, I don't remember if it was you or someone else say that, you know, a lot of times these singers, if they have gone through the, actually the, the, the hormone therapy that they've usually gone through some, uh, either counseling or something of making them aware of what this is going to do to them. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, this or the, what it's not going to do to them, or what it's not going yeah, to do to them, because there are trans women who are young and, and don't know much who think they're going to take hormones and suddenly have a mezzo voice. And, you know, you're like, um, no, you're 18 years old. That's not going to happen. Right. You know, right. Um, and it's it's sort of a dose of reality that, 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 that a lot of people need. I mean, let's talk about postmenopausal voice. I mean, you you definitely yeah. lose some things when that estrogen diminishes in your body too so exactly. i've definitely experienced that myself so i mean there are all hormones do things to voices and people don't know it unless you tell them or unless somebody tells them yeah. and, and, you know and, uh, yeah ex- exactly that's a whole other other topic for another time um yeah. great sarah is there anything you wanted to specifically ask before we move on Oh, that's a good question. So, so many of the things, it's funny, like, I would be thinking of a question, then you would kind of naturally answer it. Like, because one of my questions had been, is how does it look kind of for a singer who does want to make this their career? Just how do you handle that going forth with casting directors? Because I mean, that's hard enough if you are cisgender I can't even imagine sort of presenting one way with a different voice. So but you kind of covered a lot of that. Well, I think honestly, it's it's almost easier. And I don't I don't want to use that word because I don't want to insult anyone. But if you're transgender and you choose a gender, for lack of a better word, uh, so you're going to present all the time as, as male or as female, trans feminine mm-hmm. or trans masculine you actually have an easier time of it than the non-binary singers. Sure. And you yes. don't get, you don't get as much pushback. Um, sure. That makes sense. And you might even stealthily get away with it in some ways. Um, but uh, like my non-binary student right now is, is a 
treble voice uses they them pronouns mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is uh, I don't know if there's any voice dysphoria they say there's not but yet there's a real reluctance to sing high pitches mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like is this a technical thing or is this an emotional thing? You yeah. know, so I, I don't yeah. really know. So just checking in all the time. But I think if you if you present yourself in a way that that people are uncomfortable because we all think everybody's in the binary. Yeah, and <laughs> um, we want to put everyone in a box. It's like there's so much pressure to label yourself yeah. as something. Well, and, and like, what do you wear to an audition? Ah, yeah. You know. Yeah. In that way, probably singing musical theater might be easier because you don't have to wear the tuxedo or the or the the suit or the dress. Oh or, yeah, well, you, know, you but, escape like fuck. You don't have to deal with that. Right, right. So yeah, that's a little tricky. Yes, in in indeed. Uh, so as as we transition here, um, uh, you know, it's interesting. You're the first sort of just um. <laughs> single person episode we've done since in quarantine. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, isn't that right, Sarah? I think so. I mean, like we had that one episode where we just talked with Josh about Star Trek. Oh yes, that's right. I don't know if that counts. Yeah, but but that was <laughs> but but, but Josh had been on so many times. But I was <laughs> what I was going to say is normally we transition to this segment where we just ask you if you have any random pop culture interests at all. Except I feel like we should change this segment for the next however long to what have you been quarantine binge watching? (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Um, So a a lot, actually. (laughs) I mean, but that is my I am a total introvert. I mean, my I can get in front of a, a room of 800 people and act like I'm not. I know how to do that, but my my best life is lived by myself in a quiet place. I feel that on like every level. <laughs> so, me like binge watching things on Hulu, Netflix, Prime Video, ever all I have all of them. You know, so CBS, you know, cuz yeah. we got to get Star Trek. So, I I have yeah, I, I have <laughs> I have gotten all the way through Picard and ah! the, the new- <laughs> yeah. I've gotten I actually lowered my standards and watched the Tiger King. I've now I'm in the middle of Ozark. Um before that oh, I watched um oh what's that? I can't remember the name of it. It was oh unorthodox. Have you seen I've, that? Josh told us about this and I've heard it's great. Loved it. So I watched that. Um, I'm very curious. There's a lot of pressure to watch Tiger King right now. I mean, like, like you say, like, is it is it really? So here's why I watched it. The guy was in Oklahoma. My whole family lives in Oklahoma near where this is taking place. And I thought, wow, I can hear my my family speaking. (laughs) Right. Okay, I get that. I get that. Oh, I watched it for for just you know here's here's a low bar of entertainment and oh, it's yeah. Oklahoma people. So I I watched it for that reason. It wasn't my favorite thing, but I watched the whole thing. But I'm pretty. I, I will hardly stop a series if I start. Once it. you start, I I get that. I watched all of Farscape, all of Stargate, all of you know whatever yes. I Yes watch everything so um, the world wants to know since we reviewed the whole season what what did you think what was your what were your thoughts on star trek picard i i didn't like it at the beginning as much as i liked it by the end 
but you know, it's that. Star Trek. It's Star Trek. Any Star Trek to me is good Star Trek. What is your thoughts on what are your thoughts on Discovery? I like a lot of Discovery, actually. I love Discovery. I thought it was, and I'm a huge next gen fan and original series fan, but I can respect them for what they are. I liked them, and I liked that they kept bringing, um, you know, when uh, Captain Pike came in, and I remembered the old series when he was in the original Star Trek and rolled out with that melted face, and I was like, oh my God, I know what's going to happen to you. (laughs) Right. And then when they showed that preview of it, I was like, there it is. (laughs) That was interesting, watching that with my wife, who I basically forced to watch some key episodes of Next Generation because she never wanted to get into Star Trek. And so she watched some key episodes of Next Gen with me to get ready for Picard. (laughs) Yeah. And then in the middle of Picard airing, since we had CBS All Access finally, we binged Discovery and she's like, why hasn't all Star Trek been like this? <laughs> she's like, this I, is amazing. I love Discovery. But see, I loved the uh, Catherine Janeway. I loved that oh, series. Oh, sure. Too. Voyager's you know, great. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Every, yeah. every Star Trek is good Star Trek to me. It's like, I you know, agree. I get that. They each have their own charm. Because I've only watched Next Gen, Picard, and a few episodes of the original series but they're just, they're totally different things. They are totally different, but it's still Star Trek. But it's still Star Trek, exactly, exactly. So it still has that kind of main essence of what it is. What did you think of uh, Ozark? I've gotten through two seasons and it's sort of like um, anxiety producing and a little bit. Right? It's a little bit much sometimes and a little bit violent. And I'm like, wow, why am I watching this? Yeah, (laughs) we've had to like, we would start it and then, and then stop. And then we'd come back to it and we've still not finished it. I'm on, I'm on season three, the first episode, but it's kind of like, I kind of wanted it to stop at season two. And then Uh. when it did. Like, oh, I don't know if I can do season three. So yeah, I'm going to give yeah. it a shot just because I don't stop usually. Yeah, I yeah, try to yeah, finish. Yeah. So, no, I, I feel mean, that. I, I will binge watch, I mean, something. I'm always binge watching something. Well, so right now, that's on the list. I've been recommending to everyone that while Stars is open in April, that they watch the two seasons of Counterpart, oh, okay. which is a J.K. Simmons spy drama. So okay. good. So good. good. I've also, we also, um, uh, in, in during quarantine went back and finally finished the second season of Fleabag. Oh my God. See, I didn't finish. That's the one I have not finished yet. Oh my God. I started it and then I got off on Schlitz Creek or something. And we've been watching that. We've been watching. My wife started Schitt's Creek this week and it's kind of like, I'm like, okay. And we're kind of laughing, and she I think she likes it more than I do, but... I think it yeah. escalates and gets better. Oh, okay, okay. I, we're only a few Schlitz, episodes I'm in. Schlitz yeah. <laughs> no, Schlitz is malt liquor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Day drinking is about to happen. No. <laughs> I've heard it's a lot, like, a, kind of a lot of those comedies are, um, like The Office or Parks and Rec, where it's really as you kind of get to know these characters mm. and yeah. you build expectations with them. And there is some, there's some interesting writing in that. I mean, there's some stuff that just, you go, Oh my God, that's perfect. Uh, when you get to know the characters. So I, I, I think I abandoned Fleabag about the time I started watching Shit's Creek well, and I never got back to it. The second season of Fleabag has Andrew, um, Scott, Scott, 
who played yeah. Moriarty on Sherlock. If you ever watched oh. Sherlock, he that. is he. I mean, his run of Hamlet a few years back at the at the at the Royal Shakespeare, unbelievable. I think that he is like the Patrick Stewart of this generation. Oh my! He what is, a recommendation. He is incredible. The second his performance in the second season, Fleabag, he is incredible. I mean, wow. absolutely, just totally captivating every okay. second um well i'm gonna take that recommendation and that's worth that's worth watching list. i mean it's, i mean <laughs> yeah. it's only like six episodes i mean they're yeah so uh, i mean it, and of course i have my usual shows that i always keep up with on hulu like Grey's anatomy sure S- svu i wouldn't miss a season of that oh gosh so sarah <laughs> I, I love SB. I, I actually have been on sort of a hiatus from it because I made a, a really bad decision, uh, not this Two past summer, ago. but the summer before. It was the summer before last, where my at the time roommate and I we binge watched Law and Order SVU and like, ooh, and I, when I say binge watched, I mean like we got up when we were both awake, we put it on and we did not <laughs> stop till we went to bed. Like that was a dangerous game we played there. <laughs> Yeah, that's hardcore binge watching right oh, there. Oh yeah, I got to where like we walk out and we're like, oh gosh, what's around that corner? So so she was that, having you know. nightmares about SVU I attacks, was. unlike now when we only have nightmares about Zoom calls. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? Or or bizarre. I had the weirdest, and I I'm not a person who dreams vividly often. I mean. I don't remember dreams. I don't remember dreaming. That's that kind of a thing. I don't sleep well. I have sleep apnea, sleep with a machine, all kinds of crazy stuff like this. But I had the most vivid dream recently. And it was so bizarre because I was doing a master class someplace that I didn't recognize. And the two people I recognized in the audience, you're going to love this, Steve Austin and Scott McCoy. (laughs) Okay. Why not? Why not? And that was, I woke up thinking, what in the world? Because I'm not traveling to do any master classes right now. No, nobody is. Nope. <laughs> nope. So the one that got canceled was I was supposed to do on Ohio Nats um, thing about gotcha. transgender. Plus, I was going to do a master class. Gotcha. And, and I guess it was around the same time. I was like, oh, I didn't take that trip. I guess I'm dreaming about not taking that trip. <laughs> oh, my. Well, while we're talking about trips, Vocal Fam, the announcement was made this week. Of course, we will not all get together in Knoxville. Um, but uh, there are definite plans being made about taking Knoxville online. So there will be lots and lots of information coming out. Uh, I can promise, I promise poster presenters that you will be hearing from us, either Alan or myself in the coming weeks about how we're going to handle poster sessions online. That's happening. Um, I can promise that uh, we're going to have morning coffee and conversation sessions. I can promise that we're going to have our main plenary sessions um, coming up in two weeks, Vocal Fam. I can, pr- I hope, unless something unforeseen happens due to some weird coronavirus world, I can promise you that in two weeks, Chris John Harrops will be on the podcast with Sarah and I. Hey. Um, uh, and, uh, but we are very sad that we will not be in close quarters with everybody in June, but 
but we will still, and I, here's the other thing, a little teaser for you. I can promise you, Vocal Fam, that Vocal Fry is playing a role in Nats National. I can promise you that. Let's just, okay. I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, that's good. But we will be there. Right, Sarah? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm already here. No, I, <laughs> No, I'm super excited. I mean, I'm disappointed. I was looking forward to this. It was going to be my first one, but I think this is going to be a really cool experience. Yeah. Still. It yeah, will. It, it will. There will be experiences had. Let's just say that. <laughs> I'm already yeah. thinking, how am I supposed to do my session, which was supposed to be a morning coffee talk about voice masculinization and voice feminization for trans students who wish to do that <laughs> and exercises with audience participation. And I was oh, like, perhaps hmm. a bit more difficult. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's going to change a bit. I still think there's... You still have coffee. I can have coffee. I, I do coffee all the time. I wonder if that's required that if you do one of the morning coffee and conversation <laughs> sessions now that you have to be drinking you coffee while coffee. you do it. And does it have to happen if it's live at 7.30 a.m.? Because that's when that's the slot I got. Us too. Us too. Ours too. I forgot about that. Yes, us too. Are we just going to like submit whatever and they'll play it whenever or, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of unknowns. Let's just I'm, say that at the moment, I'm, I love you, Alan. I'm glad I'm not Alan Henderson at this moment. Me too. At oh this moment. God. There might at be another time in my life where maybe I'm like, man, you know, whatever. Right now, at this exact moment, I'm glad I'm not Alan Henderson. Yeah, that is a job God I would bless not you. Want yeah, that's going to be big. <sighs> anyway, all right, Lorraine, thank you so much for joining so the Vocal well. Fam. Um, this has been great. I've been meaning to do it forever and ever and ever. Um, and obviously, we wish you guys the best in quarantine. Stay healthy, stay yeah, safe. You too. You too. Um, thank you. Sarah, any clothes? Sarah, what'd you have for breakfast? Muffins. <laughs> ah, oh, it's Saturday. Muffins. It's Saturday. It's muffins. I got up and made some. It was delightful. What else are you going to do? <laughs> I've cooked more in this quarantine than I've ever cooked in my life because I'm not, I'm a big drive-through or eat-out person, and this Same. is all the foods in my kitchen being cooked, you know, yep. here. I've pulled my crock pot back out and have done many a crock pot recipe over the past few weeks. Because... I feel that. Oh boy, yeah. I feel that. Yeah, I feel that. I can use that. I can do that. Like you give me a recipe and stuff to just dump in my crock pot. Bam, I'm there. <laughs> all right, vocal all right. fam. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lorraine. That's it for us. Hold on, just one second. And uh, okay. that, that's it. Talk to you later, Vocal Fan. Peace out. <laughs>